0: Hello everyone, welcome to the River Sunday service on YouTube. My name is Charles Park, and this is my last sermon as a pastor at this church. Now, Caroline and I will still be around as leaders of this church, and I will from time to time even speak as a a lay leader in this church, but this This is the last time I will speak as a pastor at this church and so I wanted to leave you with the most important lesson I have learned as a Christian and it has to do with why be a Christian. Broadly speaking, I see three categories of reasons behind having faith in God. First category is what I would broadly describe as benefits or power. That is, many people have faith in God for the benefits of prosperity in this life and promise of heaven after we die. Prosperity gospel, Pentecostal churches, power churches, many of the Sunday services we see on TV are driven by the power of God argument. Second is the category I would broadly describe as reason or justice. This is about what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. For example, C.S. Lewis, who was a famous intellectual, was convinced by the logic of Christian faith, and he wrote many convincing books defending faith. Now, these are good things, power and reason, benefits and justice. These are good values. I love C.S. Lewis. And I respect the power of God, as many of you know. But none of them are the reason to have faith in Jesus. In fact, Jesus warned his followers to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herodians. Pharisees stood for the truth of God, the righteous ways of God, reason. And Herodians stood for power and benefits. Both became enemies of Jesus, even though the values they were pursuing, power and justice and righteousness, in and of itself are good things. But when they become the basis of our life, when they become life principle, they can become idols that lead us astray. So today... I want to talk to you as my last sermon as a pastor at the river, the foundational reason that should drive who we are and why we live. And that reason is love, unconditional love, agape love, divine, undeserved, unlimited love. The Bible says, God is agape love. No other verse in the Bible says God is. Love defines God. Yes, God is powerful, but God is not power. Yes, God is just, but God is not justice. The only definitional declaration the Bible has for God is God is agape love. Unconditional, undeserved, unlimited love is the reason and the goal of Christian faith. Now, that can sound a little bit fluffy. Love, 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 love. But in reality, unconditional love is very, very difficult. None of us can do it well. But the cross demands it and salvation requires it. Jesus did not go to the cross for the reasons of benefits and power. I mean, think about it. The cross does not speak of power and protection and benefits, does it? The cross stands for harsh realities of this world. Jesus suffered greatly on the cross, and all who follow him must stand where he stood. That doesn't mean we cannot ask God for power and protection, but it is not promised or guaranteed. If Jesus suffered like that, what right do we have as followers of Jesus to demand that we get the opposite treatment? And the cross does reconcile us with God, but the cross does not make what is right the prime value either. I mean, how can the cross be the symbol of God's reason and justice? The cross is foolishness by human logic, the Bible says outright. Nor is it just. In fact, this is one of the chief disagreements between Islam and Christianity. Islam believes that a just God could not allow Jesus to suffer like that and die on the cross. They have a point. So some of us among Christians who want to push back and argue with that point agree that Jesus suffered unjustly on the cross but still want to emphasize the justice of God by referring to what is called the atonement theory of the cross, especially the penal substitution theory which became the basis. Of modern understanding of the gospel. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. It goes like this there was a contract or covenant between God and people that we would obey God's rules and God would bless us. But everybody sinned, which led to a chasm, unbridgeable chasm between humanity and God. But Christ made the bridge by dying on the cross to pay off the debt of sin. And it had to be done because God is just. God had to send us to hell because of our transgressions. But Jesus took the penalty in substitution so we are now good with God. That satisfies the justice of God that demands payment for wrongdoing. And that's how the cross becomes a symbol of just God. Are you familiar with this? It's well known, right? Now, in the medieval ages, when this understanding of the cross became popular, the whole society was structured around what everyone owes each other. So this made intuitive sense to people. And it became the dominant theory behind the cross and how it redeems us. And it has great power on people's imagination and practice of faith to today. How it's practically used today is that the cross is used like a reset button to make the old covenant with God uh, doable in practice. Because we mess up all the time. It's impossible to do the old covenant. But when we mess up, we can turn to the cross be forgiven, and it works like the reset button that gives us clean conscience to go back to trying to keep obeying God's rules. This is very useful in the pursuit of benefits and justice, so we can keep asking for God's protection and prosperity because we feel clean and justified before God. Now, as much as I appreciate The power and the argument of the atonement theory, it has practical value, but there are fatal flaws with this theory. Because first, the Bible makes it very clear that the cross is not a reset button that can be used again and again. The Bible makes a big deal out of this, that Christ was sacrificed once, It is finished once and for all. It's a one-time shot. You can't just keep using it like a reset button. Plus, what today's society thinks of the atonement theory, it doesn't come across as good news. We are no longer in medieval society obsessed with what we owe. Instead, we are conversant in psychotherapy. We are sensitive to family violence and child abuse. In this changed culture, the atonement theory is not such good news. Because what does it say? We messed up badly. Our father got so angry. He had to beat us to death. And then eternal torture on top of that. But then our older brother stepped in to take our place. And God beat up to death instead. And now we are good with our father. How is that good news? You get what I mean? It paints God as some kind of monster who cannot control his anger. God has to take it out on someone. Why would you want to be with such a God? Plus, it doesn't make sense as a solution for justice because how can some innocent person taking on torture and death in the place of the truly guilty be called justice in what world that's no justice that's something that might happen in some corrupt regime like stalin's russia that's no justice and there are no answers to these objections there are other issues too but all this is to say We need an updated understanding of the cross, how salvation works, and why be a Christian. I am going to list three reasons, three declarations of the cross that can serve as foundational theology of redemption that can replace the penal substitution theory. First. The cross speaks of God's unconditional love towards us. Jesus died on the cross before requiring anything of us. What more could God say than this to convince us that God's love towards us is unconditional and unlimited? Second, the cross judges the knowledge of good and evil so, as to reverse the original sin. Finally, the cross shows us how to be born again into new self identity as unconditionally worthy beings, beloved of God. Let me unpack these three categories of declarations of the cross. First, Remember how Genesis 3 describes the knowledge of good and evil as the original sin that caused the fall of humanity? I talked about it last week. It brought judging and alienation of the self and from each other and from God. Genesis 3 describes it as Adam and Eve, after taking the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they have to cover up who they are. They don't feel good about themselves anymore. They are alienated from themselves as they judge themselves. And then they blame each other and then they hide from God. So judgment and alienation in every direction. Jesus reverses this original sin of judging between good and bad on the cross by dying on the cross unjustly. Let me explain. When the Son of God, who lived perfect life, got crucified on the cross, it broke the power of judging between good and evil as the basis of how to organize human life. It shows up justice as always and forever imperfect. It cannot be the basis of our life because the cross is always and forever unjust. It judges the judging itself as the power humanity gave it when they made the fruit of judging knowledge of good and evil the basis of life. This is why Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam gave humanity over to judging between good and bad as basis of life. And the second Adam gives humanity over to unconditional love of the cross as basis of our existence. That's why the cross has the power to redeem us. The cross tells us we are unconditionally beloved of God, and to believe and live by such grace that frees us from the slavery of original sin. You see, we all have self-image in our head that form our self-identity that is constantly judging good, bad, fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. We have these voices and self-identity that says things like I am the funny one or I am the smart one or I am the good one. I am the one who does the right thing. These images of self-identity drive us and enslaves us because this is what makes us worthy in our own, own eyes. The cross demands that we let go of everything that makes us worthy. In our own eyes because the two contrasting beliefs cannot coexist we cannot believe that we are on one hand unconditionally worthy by the grace of God by the cross and then turn around to believe we are a little bit more worthy because we are successful or funny or beautiful or popular or righteous it's like light and darkness As soon as one comes in, the other must go. It's unconditional worth and love or conditional worth and love based on some attribute or qualities. And as Christians, we are called to base who we are entirely on the unconditional love of God spoken by the cross. Nothing else can define us. So when Jesus says we must deny ourselves and carry our cross daily in order to be saved, that doesn't mean we are to subject ourselves to suffering daily in service of God. Trust me, God does not need our help. Instead, we are to work on basing our identity solely on the cross. Jesus did it himself. He was born again. When he let go of everything that made up who he is, even his own identity as God, Philippians 2, chapter 2, the Bible tells us, Jesus let go of every identity that made up who he is, and he became a lowly servant and died on the cross. That's death of the self-identity. So to take up our own cross, And follow Jesus means we too must let go of everything that makes up who we are and instead take on the sense of self that's based entirely on the unconditional love of God towards every human being. That's salvation, that's true freedom because such faith frees us from all kinds of stress and worry and all these voices in our heads that drives us and enslave us in order to meet with the standards that we have for ourselves in order to uh feel good about who we are if instead we let go of all that die to all that and live to the unconditional love of God on the cross you'll be so happy with yourself with reality with people around you with God you'll be bliss you would feel fully alive regardless of circumstances because the mind can make heaven out of hell and hell out of heaven right? this is why we must die in order to come fully alive we must die to our own sense of what makes us worthy in our own eyes die to all that and instead come alive to the new identity of the beloved of God unconditionally. Doesn't it make sense that that would be born again that saves us? We have new identity in Christ based solely on undeserved grace of the living God. Therefore, this must be the aim and the goal of our Christian discipleship. This then requires us to love every other human being unconditionally just as we love ourselves unconditionally and god that's the greatest commandment right and that makes sense because we could not take into our own hearts god's unconditional love for ourselves if we did not extend it to every human being out there we must believe every human being is unconditionally worthy We cannot exclude certain groups of people as being unredeemably unworthy, no matter how they offend us. This belief is what makes us Christian. This doesn't mean you have to uh, become a doormat, but we must treat every human being with respect and include them into the unconditional love of God. This is the belief exhibited by the Good Samaritan, isn't it? The man beaten on the road has no identifying markers. The priest and the Levite would have been compelled to save a fellow believer, a fellow priest, but they pass by the man because they have well-defined sense of who's worthy and who's not, who's in and who's out. We human beings have automatic instinctive ability to divide and categorize To include and exclude who's down, who's up. This comes from the original sin of knowledge of good and bad, identity building, coverings of who we are to make us worthy in our own eyes. This is what we do all day every day. The whole world does it. That's why we are called to sell everything we have. No, we must sell everything we are and in its place. We get our identity as unconditionally beloved of God, every human being, and that brings true freedom, true bliss, true life. If and when we live out of this faith, we bring the kingdom of God to our sphere of existence. This means we must separate words from meaning, the doctrines that we say, that how the cross saves us, how Jesus is the Lord, These are not some magic incantation that has the power to save us in the words themselves. There's a message behind the fact that God became a human being and died on the cross for everyone unconditionally. Words themselves are not the point. It's what the words point to. That's what's important. If someone lives out the greatest commandment, To unconditionally unconditionally love oneself and others and God, like the Good Samaritan, that's being Christian, regardless of what they call themselves. That can happen anywhere. Conversely, if someone says they believe all these words, say priests who sexually abused children again and again for decades, they can believe and recite all these doctrines in their heads. There are many, many Christians who believe all these words and facts on the paper, but do not believe what they actually mean. Because how can someone who believes in unconditional worth of every human being harm other people like that? They are not part of the kingdom of God. Not really. Do you believe in unconditional worth and love? Or do you believe that only certain people, the righteous, the elect, the chosen, the faithful, or the famous, the beautiful, the social media fans, this. all these beautiful pictures of beautiful people, they look like they're living a worthy life, they are the worthy people, they are the in-group. When we give ourselves to those thoughts, we are, start, we are believing in and giving power to conditional worth and love. Let's be honest, our sense of self-worth is often tied to our performance. Even the best Christian among us fail every day to live by undeserved, unconditional grace of God. We are constantly judging ourselves, others, and this world. That's why the Bible tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because we must work hard to take hold of the salvation that has been freely given to us. Uh, On the surface, that doesn't make sense, does it? We have to work hard to take hold of what is already given to us freely. But in this context, it makes sense salvation must be free gift because it's about unconditional worth and love. Yet it takes so much effort to die to our own sense of self. It takes daily effort to identify and repent of all that we have built up as our own self-identity. It's like dying, not easy. That's why this is the goal of Christian discipleship. We must every day stop And remind ourselves we are unconditionally beloved and then extend that to everyone around us. We forget this every day. We feel up and down depending on circumstances because our worth is tied to our performance and our circumstances. My dear brothers and sisters, let's have faith in unconditional love shown on the cross. You unconditionally beloved, infinitely. You are not loved because of your excellent qualities. You gave up your right to such thoughts when you became the people of the cross. We forget this. Every day we beat up ourselves, I'm no good, I'm worthless unless I perform as whatever. We must fight those voices, we must surround ourselves with other people who can remind us of the truth. And reinforce the truth of the gospel. Why Jesus died for us. It's unconditional grace. That's why church is so important. So I leave you with these words on the last day I'm a pastor at the river. You are infinitely loved. You are unconditionally accepted. You are embraced as you are with unlimited love of God and that is the final word, the final judgment, the final definition of who we are and why we should live and I trust John and Sarah to lead us well into this true gospel as they have always done. This church is such a precious community Because we believe this and we are extending this grace and love to one another. Let's stay connected. Let's keep reminding ourselves, even in this crazy time of coronavirus, we need to stay connected and remind each other of how much we are loved and accepted. And that's going to lead us to salvation, life and all its fullness. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us unconditionally, you love us with no conditions attached, not because of who we are and what we have done, but because of the cross. And we love you for this because this is true freedom, it's the only thing that could free us from the messages in our head that enslaves us to act and drive us into behaviors that ultimately do not lead to satisfying life. Help us, O God, to construct ourselves on the true gospel, upon the love of God, and make us shining lights in this world. Amen. Bye, everyone, and uh, let's stay connected.